Welcome back to The Wrestling Room. And today, as I stand in my little office here, it is Mother's Day. And so I want to just welcome any mothers that are watching and just say we love you. We thank you. We honor you today on Mother's Day. And I honor my wife who has three children who absolutely adore her and for good reason. She has invested in their lives in ways that are just extraordinary. And I also honor my own mother who has four children who adore her. And uh, we love you moms. I love you my wife. I love you my mother. We honor you on this particular Mother's Day, May 9th, 2021. I want to continue this journey through the book of Acts talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And today I want to answer the question, what is a normal Christian? What is normal Christianity? There's a statement, a quote made by an old battle axe firebrand preacher, Leonard Ravenhill. He says this, he asks this question or he makes this statement, Christianity today is so subnormal that if any Christian began to act like a normal New Testament Christian, he or she would be considered abnormal. Did you get that? Christianity today is so subnormal. We're living so far below what Jesus called us to, that if we were to rise to normal, people would look at us and say, you're nuts, you're crazy, you're a fanatic. Calm down. <laughs> And so my mission today is to raise your standard, is to ask yourself, am I living a normal Christian life or a subnormal Christian life? Am I honoring Jesus with my life? And I want to put a mirror up to us in the life of Peter. I'll, I'll get there in just a second and look at his life before and after he was baptized with the Holy Spirit and ask ourselves, am I living this way? Have I been baptized in the Holy Spirit? My mission is to get your fires lit to be on fire for Jesus, to live a normal, powerful, passionate Christian life in the days that we're living in that are short. Jesus is coming back. People need Jesus desperately. Zechariah 4 verse 6 answers the question, what is a normal Christian life this way, it says, not by your might, God is speaking, not by your might, the Lord says, not by your power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. In other words, this life is not to be lived by my striving, my flesh, my intelligence, my IQ, my good ideas, my understanding, but by the power of the spirit of the living God. Paul says it this way in Galatians 2.20, he says, it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives his life in and through me. That is the normal Christian life. And so what does this look like? I want to show you a story. I want to walk you through a story and I want to activate the theater of your mind. I want you to see the life of Peter after he was baptized with the Holy Spirit. What does it look like? I want to give you eight characteristics of someone who has been baptized with the power of the Holy Spirit, because this, my friends, is the normal Christian life. Not the supernormal, not the elite version. It is the normal version for you and for me. So I'm challenged by this. I'm not preaching to you. I'm preaching with you, for you. I'm with you on this journey. So uh, join me as we look at the life of Peter. Father, give us eyes to see 
What you want to show us? Give us wisdom. Give us a heart that's open to receive, to be challenged. Lord, to repent where we need to repent, to make changes where we need to make changes, to make adjustments. Lord, may we humbly listen to your word now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. Here's the background. Peter and John, the church has been founded. Peter and John are on their way to the temple to go to church. They're heading to church. And there's a man who has been crippled for 30 days, for 30 years, and he's begging. And many of you know the story already, but Peter and John don't have money to give him, so he is healed. They heal him supernaturally. The man is jumping around, yelling and screaming. He's rejoicing. And of course, all of this celebration draws a massive crowd. And as Peter sees this crowd forming, he says, what a great opportunity. And he begins to preach Jesus, powerfully. It's the second major message in the book of Acts. And Peter begins to preach. And of course, whenever Jesus is preached, it wakes up the demons. And so let's pick up in 4 verse 1. Uh, demons are on the way. Peter has stuck his finger in the hornet's nest. So here we go. 4 verse 1. It says, And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came upon them, being greatly disturbed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Now, brothers and sisters, if you are baptized with the Holy Spirit, if you are living a normal Christian life, you will be a disturber of the peace. I'm going to come right out at the beginning and say it to you. If you like to be liked, if you want to be popular, don't ask God to baptize you with the Holy Spirit, because when you are, you will be a disturber of the peace. When Jesus started his ministry, he shot to the charts of popularity. People were thronging to hear him. But his first message in his own hometown ended in an attempt to kill him by his own townspeople, people he'd grown up with. He went from popular to offensive to opposed to denied and deserted, and ultimately to being killed. <laughs> That's the life of Jesus. Jesus, we know, spoke incredible words of wisdom, but he spoke incredible words of truth. Jesus wasn't out to gain people's popularity or even to be liked. Jesus came to earth on a mission, a rescue mission. He was pointing people to a decision. He wasn't saying, listen, you're on the Titanic and the Titanic is going down. Let me give you a positive uh, mental attitude lesson on how to think positively about the Titanic going down. He was saying, get in the lifeboat. Get in the lifeboat. And Jesus' presence disturbed everything in Israel. And it will your life will as well. When you're baptized with the Holy Spirit, you cannot just walk into a room anymore and be a wallflower. You won't be neutral. Listen, when the Spirit of God comes upon us, His dynamite comes upon us. His light comes upon us. Light and darkness don't coexist. When dynamite goes off, it causes a ruckus. And people who are filled, baptized with the Holy Spirit, will disturb the peace. 
You look at all the men and women throughout history. Let me give you a couple examples. Noah. When Noah stood up and began preaching, he confronted his whole generation. The end is coming. The end is coming. Noah was not popular. The only ones who listened to his message were his own family. Everyone else perished. But Noah confronted the environment that he was in. Then you think about Moses. Moses stood up at age 40 and, and tried to be the deliverer of his people, but it caused a ripple. And in the spiritual realms, you could begin to hear the chains of bondage begin to shake. Forty years later, he comes out of the desert. He's humble. He's usable. God is working through him, and he confronts the most powerful man on the planet. And the people of Israel, the people of God, walk free. You think about David. David walked out of the sheep field onto the battlefield, immediately was confronted by his own people, his own brothers. But ultimately, when down confronted the enemy and his people walked free. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel, I love their story. They're only teenage boys. They're taken captive, but as soon as they arrive in Babylon, the spiritual atmosphere shifts. The presence of God through these four boys, the power of God, the spirit of God in and through these boys, or with these boys, upon these boys, it wasn't in them yet, <laughs> shifted the spiritual atmosphere, put the demons of Babylon on alert. There's another power that has come into our environment. Brothers and sisters, listen. When you're baptized with the Holy Spirit, when you are living as a normal Christian, your presence rattles things. It disturbs the peace. I, I'm sorry to have to say that to you, but that is the case. It's not that we're supposed to be offensive, but we are to be obedient to Jesus. And when we're obedient to Jesus, sometimes it lands us in the lion's den. Sometimes it lands us in the fiery furnace because we stand up and we say no to certain things. We let our voice be heard. We say, listen, we might go into that fiery furnace and our God might save us, but he might not. But whatever the case, we follow our great and mighty God. People who are baptized with the Holy Spirit disturb the peace. Number two, they not only disturb the peace, but they dispense the peace. They dispense the peace. Look at this. It says in verse four, but many of those who had heard the message believed, and the number of men came to be about 5,000. So the church grew on that day by another 2,000 people who came to know and love Jesus. So we are not only disturbers of the peace, but we're dispensers of the peace. The gospel is the gospel of peace. The, man, the men and women can have peace with God and the peace of God. <laughs> that when we're in situations like we're in now where our world is being rocked and shaken, we don't have to be. That's the good news and the message of the gospel. It's a message of peace. And so... I want to give two foundational principles to, to build on about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Number one, it is efficiency in service to Jesus. It is not for ecstasy in your personal experience. As ministers and dispensers of peace, the Holy Spirit is given not to make you feel good, not to make you happy, but to make you useful. Useful, not for your ecstasy, but for your efficiency in service. And brothers and sisters, it's very concerning to me. There are so many churches today that are more 
committed to ex spiritual experiences than they are to truth. And they're using the Holy Spirit and using uh, this, this lure of experiencing God in the name of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We want to feel God. We want to feel something. They're looking for a spiritual high, a spiritual feeling. That is not what the Holy Spirit was given for. It was given to give you the ability to bring people into a living relationship with Jesus, to dispense the peace of God in a powerful, powerful way. That is what the power of the Holy Spirit is for. And so often in these meetings where people are whipped into a frenzy, it literally looks like a Hindu or Buddhist ceremony. It, it, it parallels almost point for point Buddhist and Hindu ceremonies where demons are introduced into the environment, not the spirit of the living God. It's very concerning to me. And almost never in these meetings is taking up your cross, following Jesus, denying self, going into all the world and preaching the gospel, going across the street and sharing with your neighbor. That isn't even talked about. It's, we want to feel God. We want to feel God. That is not the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I hesitated to even share my experience last week because each person's experience of the baptism is very different. Mine was just about, mine was unique to me. But I didn't go out into that country road onto that country road and into the countryside of Holland because I was looking for a feeling. I went out because I knew God had called me to, to go into some very difficult places with difficult people, and I needed power. I needed God's presence. I needed his personality flowing through me or else I was going to fail. And that was my heart's desire going out into that countryside. It wasn't for ecstasy. It wasn't for my own happiness. Now, the beauty of it is, is that whenever the presence of God comes upon us, the Bible says in your presence is fullness of joy. So there is going to be a sense of ecstasy and whatever, but you don't seek that. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is to bring people into peace with God. It's to bring them into this year of jubilee, the year of God's favor, where their debts are canceled, bondages are, slaves are set free, their inheritance in heaven is restored. That is what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is all about. You will not only disturb the peace, you will dispense the peace. But number three, number three, normal Christians display a new power. Let's go back to the scripture. It's uh, chapter four, verse five. It came about on the next day because they were put in jail. After the religious leaders put them in jail, verse 3, it says, They laid hands on them, put them in jail until the next day, for it was already evening. Many of those who heard the message believed, and the number, number of men came to be about 5,000 believers. Verse 5, it came about on the next day that the rulers and elders and scribes were gathered together in Jerusalem, and Annas the high priest was there, and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of high priestly descent. And when they had placed them in the center, they began to inquire by what power or in what name have you done this? By what power or in what name have you done this? Now listen, these people that Peter and John were standing in front of were the most powerful men in all of the nation. This was the presidential 
uh, presidential entourage. This was the Supreme Court. This was the legislative court. This was everybody. This was the powerhouse, the power pack of the country. And they're standing in front of these men and they're inquisitive. They're questioning, by what power did you do this? They're asking, what brand is your dynamite? Because that word power is dunamis, dynamite. What brand is your dynamite? Who did you get it from? Who's your source? Who's your dealer? When the Spirit of God baptizes you, brothers and sisters, when you are filled with the Spirit of God, there will be a power and authority that characterizes you. I sat with a man some years ago who had gone through some issues with his marriage. His marriage had broken and he was trying to rebuild his life. And he was uh, a good man, a nice man. And he sat with me and he said, you know, Russ, I'm kind of thinking about going into the ministry. And he began to tell me his dreams and his thoughts about going into the ministry. And he was asking about Bible college and what would be the pathway to get into ministry. And, and I had to, to address an issue that was very glaring, and that is this. There was no authority about the man. There was nothing about him that would want, that, that I would want to follow. He had not been baptized with the Holy Spirit. There was no power. There was no authority in his life. And I, I tried to share with him, listen, I can give you a path, but you've got to have the power of God that that puts a confirming stamp on your life and then walks down, down that path. But the power and the authority of God is paramount if you're even considering ministry. Brothers and sisters, ministry without the power of God, without the authority of God, is futile. It's absolutely futile. And when you're baptized with the Holy Spirit there comes upon you a clear sense. It says the religious leaders were, were observing, they were looking, they, they saw a standing demonstration right in front of them of power and authority, and they were asking, where did you get this? What brand is it? Who dispensed it to you? They were very curious about this power and the source of it. There will be a weightiness about you when the Holy Spirit baptizes you with his power. I remember hearing about John Wesley, the great preacher and revivalist in England many years ago. He would gather crowds of over 10,000 people in a downpouring rain and preach in an open field to thousands and thousands of people. And he was asked, how do you draw crowds like this in a downpouring rain in an open field? And Wesley was a very humble, godly man, but he said this. He said, I just set myself on fire and people come to watch me burn. Oh, brothers and sisters, when the religious leaders saw Peter and John, they saw two men who had been set on fire and were burning right in front of them with a power and an authority that was from heaven. From heaven. Number four, normal Christians direct people to one person. Not only do we do we do we stir it up, stir up the peace, disturb the peace, we dispense the peace. We display a new power, but number 4, we normal Christians direct people to one person. Listen, Elvis Presley, I, I thought this was very interesting. Elvis Presley 
became world famous basically using three chords in all of his songs. The vast majority of his songs only had three chords. He was a three chord wonder. You ain't nothing but a hound dog, three chords. Blue suede shoes, three chords. Jailhouse rock, three chords. Very simple, very basic, and yet he became a sensation worldwide. The night of the crucifixion, the disciples were still arguing about who was the greatest. Their focus was on themselves. Their focus was on power. Their focus was on position. 50 plus days later, by stark contrast, Peter stands before the most powerful men of Israel and declares the greatness of Jesus with no shame, no hesitation. Never once did he point to himself. He decisively points away from himself to one person, Jesus. Listen to Peter as he, with authority and power, speaks to the, the most powerful men in Israel. He says this, verse 8, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man, as to how this man has been, as to how this man has been made well, let it be known to all of you. <laughs> let it be made known to all of you. Wow, that is authority. And to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, this is the man he had denied just 50 days ago, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. These are authoritative, definitive, powerful statements. By this name, this man stands here before you in good health. He is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the very cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name given under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Brothers and sisters, when we are baptized with the Holy Spirit, normal Christians will point to one person. One person. Elvis Presley had three chords. We have one chord. One chord. And that chord is Jesus. We point to Jesus. We point to Jesus. We point people back to Jesus. I am so thankful for my wife. I don't know of anyone who has more devotion and love for Jesus. I will be like uh, someone with ADHD and I get distracted by so many things. Squirrel here, squirrel there, squirrel there. My wife constantly brings me back to Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And I'm so grateful for that. She's a one chord woman. <laughs> it's about one person for her and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And thank God it is uh, about that for me as well. Jesus. Number five, normal Christians demonstrate a new confidence. It says in verse 13, now as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were marveling. They saw confidence in these men. Brothers and sisters, we have so many excuses as to why we can't do something, why we can't serve Jesus, why we can't speak for Jesus, why we can't teach, why we can't do this or that or the other thing. So many excuses. I'm not old enough. I'm not young enough. I'm not trained enough. I haven't been to Bible college. I don't speak well enough. I mean, we have a thousand excuses so often. 
But the beauty of it is, is that when we understand that it's not about us, there's a new confidence. When we understand, when the Spirit of God bathes us and clothes us in his presence, we understand it's not about us. Listen to what the scripture says, Psalm 71.5. For you are my hope. Lord God, you are my confidence from my youth. Proverbs 3.26, for the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. Proverbs 14.26, in the fear of the Lord is strong confidence. The word confidence means freedom and fearlessness. It means cheerful courage, assurance, unreservedness in speech. 50 plus days prior to that, Peter had been stammering and stuttering in the presence of a little servant girl who had challenged him on the fact that she had seen him with Jesus. And he denied it vehemently. Fast forward, and here's Peter, filled with fire, standing in front of the Supreme Court with no flinching, no stammering, courageously declaring his absolute belief in, his full endorsement of, and complete allegiance to the King of Kings, King Jesus. That is a transformation. That only happens when the Spirit of the living God comes upon us. He takes a person who is insecure, lacking in confidence, and, pour, and, and, and endues them with a supernatural confidence from heaven. And those excuses go away. Those excuses go away. Listen to, what da listen to what David says in Psalm 18. He says, 18 verse 29, David is writing, he says, In your strength, I can crush an army. With my God, I can scale any wall. For who is God except the Lord? Who but our God is a solid rock? God arms me with strength. He makes my way perfect. He makes me as sure-footed as a deer, enabling me to stand on mountain heights. Put your name in this as I read it. He trains your hands for battle. He strengthens my arms to draw a bow of bronze. You have given me, O Lord, your shield of victory. Your right hand supports me. Your help has made me great. You have armed me with the strength for battle. You have subdued my enemies under my feet. Brothers and sisters, that confidence comes when you understand this. It's not your responsibility. To live this Christian life is not your responsibility. It is your response to his ability. Your response to his ability. Your responsibility is obedience. Obedience. His responsibility is the outcome. If you get that, it'll change your life. That's where our confidence comes from. That's where our confidence comes from. So there's a new confidence that we get when we're baptized with the Holy Spirit. Number six, the normal Christian will begin to resemble Jesus. Listen to this. Verse 13, now as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were marveling and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. As having been with Jesus. This may be the greatest compliment in all of history. 
I recognize you as having been with Jesus. Think about it from the religious leader's standpoint. There's something niggling at them as these, these men, are sta- men are standing in front of them. They're thinking, oh, they remind me of someone. Who is it? And then it dawns on them. And horror begins to fill their hearts. I thought we had gotten rid of him, and now here he stands, but he's been cloned. He's cloned himself. <laughs> We're in trouble. We've got to stomp this out immediately. They realize that Jesus, they thought they'd crucified him. They thought he was dead and gone, but here are two men that resemble the same Jesus that they had tried to eliminate, and they're thinking, how many more of them are there? Because when the Spirit of God came, he anointed 120 people with the power and presence of the Spirit of Jesus. Wow. Normal Christians would begin to resemble Jesus. Normal Christianity, brothers and sisters, is people who look like Jesus. People who begin to resemble Jesus. You begin to look like him, talk like him, act like him, respond like him, love like him, forgive like him. All of the fruit of the Spirit will begin to be manifest from your life. The fruit of Jesus. All the fruit of the Spirit is just the characteristics of Jesus. And the Holy Spirit then begins to manifest that through us. Normal Christians will begin to resemble Jesus. But number seven, normal Christians will become healers like Jesus. Verse 14. So the religious leaders are looking with horror on Peter and John saying, They look just like Jesus. These guys were with Jesus. And then it says, verse 14, And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say in reply. It shut their mouths. I love this story. There was a story some years ago about a young pastor in London who showed up to a debate with an outspoken atheist. It's a showdown. Young pastor very outspoken atheist. With this young pastor were 100 people whose lives had been transformed as a result of this young pastor's ministry to them. 100 witnesses of the healing power of Jesus. Brothers and sisters, the debate was over before it even started. Was over before it even started. Jesus was a healer. Everywhere he went, he healed. Either he healed physically or he healed with the message of the gospel of peace. Jesus was a healer. And when the Holy Spirit baptizes us with power, we are baptized with the same ability to heal. So here Peter and John are standing before the Supreme Court. And there's the man standing next to them who is perfectly healed and it shuts their mouth. They have nothing to say. Normal Christianity is healing. The Spirit of God turns us into healers. Listen to these verses. Proverbs says, The power of life and death are in the tongue. Proverbs 16, 24 says this, Pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. Isaiah 50 verses 4 and 5 says, The Sovereign Lord has given me His words of wisdom so that I may know how to comfort the weary. And Psalm 107.20 says this, He sent His word and healed them. Brothers and sisters, we have the Word of God. We have the Spirit of God. We have everything we need to begin to 
enter into the healing ministry. This planet is desperate for people who are healers, who can speak words of healing, who know how to pray prayers of healing. I still haven't figured out all about physical healing in the scripture, not even close. I've prayed for people and they've been healed. I've prayed for others, they haven't been healed. I have anointed people with oil who haven't been healed. I don't understand all of it, but what I do know is this, when the Spirit of God baptizes you, when you're clothed with his power, you become a healer like Jesus was a healer. And finally, number eight, when you are baptized with the Holy Spirit, hell will know your name. Hell will know your name. Normal Christians are known in hell. Turn to Acts chapter 19, and I want to walk through our last story before we close. Acts chapter 19. This is a powerful short story, almost shocking story. Jesus said to the disciples, do not leave Jerusalem until you are clothed with power from on high. So the situation is Paul is in Ephesus and he has been performing extraordinary miracles. Verse 11 of chapter 19, by God was using Paul powerfully to heal the sick, to cast out demons, etc. Now verse 13, so you have a bunch of copycats. They're looking at what Paul's doing. They're saying, hey, he doesn't have a corner on that market. We can do it too. So pick up in verse 13. I'll walk you through this. Verse 13 of chapter 19 of the book of Acts. But also some of the Jewish exorcists who went from place to place. They had little non-profit casting out demons. Little religious non-profit. They, weren't, they were non-profits. They were definitely uh, frauds. We'll see that in a second. They went from place to place. They attempted to name over those who had the evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus. And here's what they would say. I adjure you, or I command you, by Jesus, whom Paul preaches. They didn't know Jesus, but they were thinking, well, we've got ourselves a little magic formula here. We command you by Jesus, who Paul preaches. Now, this particular little nonprofit, verse 14, the seven sons of Sceva, the Jewish chief priests, were doing this. So what do we have? We have seven pastor's kids, seven religious kids who have just enough religious knowledge to think that they can pull off this little religious nonprofit. And they go in, in verse 14, the seven sons of Sceva, uh, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. And 15, and the evil spirit answered and said to them, I recognize Jesus, and I know about Paul, but who are you? So they walk into the house where this demon-possessed man is living. And they pull out their little magical formula. And they say, I adjure you by Jesus, whom Paul preaches. And instead of the demons coming out, the demons speak. And here's what they say. I recognize Jesus. I know about Paul, but who are you? Now listen to what these verse, the words actually mean. Here's what this means. I recognize Jesus. That word recognize is the word gnosko, which means we know him intimately. We know Jesus. He's kicked our tails on numerous occasions. We can't stand him. We know him very, very well. He is an enemy. We hate him. Then he says, and we know about Paul. 
That is another Greek word that, that means this. We're getting to know Paul. We know Jesus very, very well. We are getting to know Paul, and he's a lot like Jesus. The same power, the same authority. He's casting us out like Jesus did. We're getting to know Paul. But who are you? We don't know you. We don't know you. Scary. What does it say? And the man, the man in whom was the evil spirit leapt on them and subdued all of them and overpowered them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. Naked and wounded. The word overpowered them literally means to overcome, to overpower, to dominate, essentially to mop the mat with them. <laughs> These guys went in undressed. They did not have the power. They were not clothed with power from on high. They went in trying to do God's work without God's power, and the demons beat the tar out of them. It says they fled out of the house. All seven of these pastor's kids fled out of the house buck naked. If there isn't powerful symbolism there, I don't know what is. Listen, when Jesus told us to stay in the city until we're clothed with power. It was so that our story, when we try to minister, isn't the story of these seven pastors' kids. They went in clothed, but they weren't clothed with power. They came out naked. Brothers and sisters, this is the story of the church today. We're trying to do the work of God or not trying to do the work of God without the power of God. And we are we're like the emperor who has no clothes. We're getting laughed at. We're getting scoffed at. We're irrelevant. We're impotent. Our salt has lost its savor. Our light has been put under, under a bushel. We don't shine any longer. We have no clothes on. The normal Christian's name is known in hell. If you are clothed with power, the demons of hell are on notice this person has a confidence that is from heaven, a power from heaven, an authority from heaven. They're disturbers of the peace. They're dispensers of the gospel of peace. They look like Jesus. They're healers. High alert. High alert. Does hell know your name? Does hell know your name? My prayer for you and for me is that hell knows our name because we are living the normal Christian life, baptized with the power of the Holy Spirit, filled, and we'll talk about this more in detail, then filled daily with the power of the Holy Spirit, operating with power from heaven. Lifting up Jesus, pointing to Jesus, we have one chord, one chord. We're one chord wonders. All we do is point to Jesus, undistracted. Does hell know your name? Normal Christians, their names are known in hell because they're doing the work of heaven. Brothers and sisters, that's my prayer for you, that hell will know your name. Jesus, we lift this word to you as a sacrifice and an offering. Do with it what you will, Holy Spirit. Thank you, O God, in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll see you next week, right back here in the wrestling room. God bless your week. Bye-bye.